What's up everybody, this is Elliot Terrell and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by artofmagic.com. Our guest for this episode is Mike Elizaldi. He's the president of Spectral Motion, which is a company that specializes in the design and creation of astonishing cinematic creature effects, special makeup effects, animatronics, and action props. Mike is also a magician. He'll be performing at the castle during Veterans Week coming up, and he's a really cool guy. Super interesting, very, very nice, wonderful to talk to, and very generous. In this episode, we talk about magic, creativity, special effects, the film industry, of course. But the big takeaway for me was that it's very important to find a mentor in whatever you're doing. I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode. I had a blast recording it and touring Spectral Motion. If you haven't already, follow us on all the social media channels, facebook.com slash magicalthinkingpodcast. Give us a like, shoot me a message, facebook.com slash mystery, instagram.com slash mystery. Instagram.com slash Treasury of Wonder, and all the other stuff. Also, make sure to sign up for our newsletter so that you don't miss any updates regarding new products or special offers that we're giving out. I'm excited about tomorrow, Friday, which is September the 2nd. We'll be releasing a really cool effect from Franco Pascali. We'll also finally be releasing the Daniel Prado Lecture. Daniel came into town a few weeks back and did a lecture for Art of Magic. We're going to be releasing that. It's really great, and I'm excited for you guys to experience it. This is a great episode. We had a great time doing it. Mike is amazing. Enjoy. These are so cool. I have the Houdini one. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, uh, cool. All right. I, or it's a I'm small. Oh, you know, we just we just released um, Dante and um, and a Cardini bust. Oh, wow. Cardini bust is really cool because it was commissioned by uh, Randy Pitchford. It's his grandson, right? It's his uh, nephew. Nephew, okay. Grand, great nephew, or, or ne- I think it's just, just, a great, just his nephew. Like his mom or his dad was the brother of, of Cardini. Okay. Pretty cool. So anyway. It's very cool. Yeah. Should we turn that fan off? No, it's fine. We're good? I think, okay. yeah. Well, I'm ready okay. when you are. We've already started. Oh, excellent. Well, it's great to have you here at Spectral Motion. Good to see you. <laughs> Good to see you too. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's very like uh, informal, laid back, informal. I like that. That's yeah. cool. You've got cool toys in your office, man. You know, that's one of the perks of, <laughs> of being in, in charge of a place like this is that you do end up accumulating a lot of really fun, cool stuff that would take a lifetime to, to collect if you were a collector. You yeah. Know? So uh, it's it's uh, it's always fun to come to work and. You know, be surrounded by these these goodies, these really fun little, you know, reminders of of the projects that we've done. So, I what are some of your favorites? I mean, Hellboy's my favorite. Hellboy's, you know, far and above all the other things that we've done here, are very special mm-hmm. to me um, because of the fact that there's a lot of reasons, but but mainly the reason is that Hellboy was the reason we opened the studio. Uh, Del Toro and I met on Blade Two. And and uh, my job on that movie was to design and build and puppeteer uh, the Reaper uh, vampires okay. that had they had bifurcated jaws that, that opened you know they kind of split open like, like you know yeah. side to side and and then they had this thing down their throat that was like this big nasty looking proboscis that would come out and latch onto people. I don't know if you've watched any of the Strain episodes, but there's something similar to that going okay. on in the Strain. Although I think all of their stuff is done digitally, uh, our stuff was done practically. It was a real through the lens effect, and so based on that experience together, uh, he was uh, sufficiently 
impressed with the work and, and he said, you know, why don't we do a movie together someday? And I said, yeah, that sounds great. So a couple of years later, he came to me with the script for Hellboy and he said, let's do this. Let's, let's get you guys started, open up a studio and let's go to town. And so we did. It was great. And the other reason it was special is because uh, I had spent about six years of time working at Rick Baker's studio, you know, Rick's seven-time Academy Award-winning makeup artist, uh, protege of Dick Smith's, and, you know, my hero. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I worked with him for a really long time. And that project, Hellboy, was a collaboration. Rick did uh, Hellboy's makeup mm-hmm. on that project, and we did all the other creature effects and, and animatronics for the uh, for the movie. And it was amazing. It was such a, a special a dream event. come true. It was a dream come true. And and um, you know we were here now. Last June, just last month, we uh, celebrated our 14th anniversary. So wow, there you go. That's, That's awesome. A brief history of why Hellboy's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. What is it? I mean, oh gosh, I don't even know where to start. I'm just looking around at all the cool stuff and I'm like <laughs> consumed by it. Um, because, well, I'm, a lot I'm of like, the stuff that you see is, is you know, obviously it's magic related. Yeah. And that's a very big part of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's equally as important to me as the movie stuff is um, from the, the earliest age that I can remember. I mean, magic and monsters were always part of my uh, sort of fallback to a place where I could uh, uh, escape from whatever problems I was having as a kid mm-hmm. and have, have these really wonderful outlets that allowed me to see that there were creative ways to deal with things and that you know you could mitigate whatever issues you had by by plunging yourself into a creative mode yeah and that that was really special to me you know so that's why there's so much uh, magic stuff in here and, and and obviously so much monster stuff in here that's that's the guy that that really kind of launched my uh, my interest in monsters. Frankenstein's monster, nineteen thirty one. You know James Wales, yeah, masterpiece. And then the subsequent uh, Bride of Frankenstein. Both of those movies mm-hmm. were like hugely important in my childhood. They were just they, they taught me a lot of things. They, what was it that drew you to them? You know, initially it was the appearance of the monster. Uh-huh. It was like, what in the world is that? Where did they find this guy? <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, I've I've heard. Rick Baker say the same thing and it's a very it's a very common thread among people that do what we do we yeah. all or many of us were drawn to that monster it's a very special uh, creation because you know this this was a very early version of a, a prosthetic makeup you know mm-hmm. it was done with collodion and, and, and cotton and all sorts the methods were very primitive but the result was really stunning it was a really startling appearance um, so uh, and I didn't know it at the time. I was just looking at this really cool-looking thing and thinking that that is really awesome. I'd, I'd like to know how they did that. You know? Yeah. Um, so that really piqued my curiosity. How old were you? What I mean, I this was, is like. I think I was seven years old. You had to have been you know? born like this. I think I was. You think so? They dropped me on my head as a baby. <laughs> that's how it, you know. That's what happened. That's what, what resulted. But you know, I just I just felt. Not only did I feel drawn to the appearance. But the story was so beautiful. It was this, you know, a, a misunderstood uh, creature mm-hmm. that really, uh, of his own volition, meant no harm. He didn't really mean to hurt anyone, or you know, he just—he was almost like a, a a big child, you know, a big yeah. a big child that, that was was uh, you know thrusted into this world without without any choice, and and had some bad things happen to him, and. 
and I sort of related to that as a kid, you know. Can I ask um, why? Is yeah, that, yeah, yeah. My childhood was not easy. It was a very difficult, uh, uh, you know, several years growing up, and it was because of uh, problems that my mom had. You know, she was she was very young when I was born. My dad died when I was two, so she was a single mom, you wow. know, raising me. Uh, then she remarried, and my stepdad was he was cool. My stepdad was awesome. He was the guy who kind of turned me on to all the monster movies and. He was the guy who would wake me up at 11 o'clock on Friday night and say, hey, they're, they're showing, you know, Godzilla or they're showing, you know, Frankenstein's on. And so we spent a lot of time, you know, doing this stuff and, and we really bonded through that. But that relationship didn't last. It fell apart. Mm -hmm. And then it was back to, you know, my mom raising me and now my, my brother, my, my, my half brother. Uh, and she had a very difficult time. She had uh, a prescription drug addiction. That really ultimately was her her downfall, and then she passed away when she was 35. I was 14 years old, wow. so we had a lot of tough times. You know, we we moved around a lot. We were living on food stamps and and uh, you know welfare, and it was awful. I mean, yeah. but I didn't know it was awful. You know, it was just like that's that was our life, um, and the things that I found solace in were were uh, movie monsters and magic, and that always helped me get through uh, to the next day. So. So I cherish those things. I can imagine. <laughs> it seems like what you do, like professionally, this, spectral motion, is really just like a, a physical manifestation, an extension of kind of the magic that we do. And I wonder if like, I, I think you talk to most magicians and they're like, yeah, I was weird as a kid and I didn't really fit in and magic was my outlet. And I wonder if because your childhood was so hard, this you know this extension of sleight of hand magic into actual real movie magic was kind of may I don't know I'm it just no no you're, I think you're absolutely right it, 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 to me you know I've said this before the two things are very much the same thing to me they're they're um, a way to uh, you know to be creative number mm -hmm. one first and foremost secondly they're a great way to entertain people and. And thirdly, and maybe even more importantly than to just entertain people, you create a sense of wonder with these things. You, you sort of take people away from their existence, their whatever banal you know, things they do during the day. This, this puts them in a different place. It puts them in a, in a level where they can experience that childhood wonder that we all love so much. And I think that's one of the things that draws so many of us to magic is that we do, we, we do sort of vicariously enjoy the experience of how we felt when mm -hmm. we first saw you know a miracle performed right in front of us you know yeah. um, and that that elevated sense of of amazement and wonder is so critical and important in in you know just giving us tools to cope with life and I think it's the same thing with with movie monsters because whenever somebody that I talk to who has seen one of our creations on, on screen you know sometimes they'll say you know I felt like I was 12 years old watching a movie for the first time it, that's how I felt when I saw what you guys did because I know how you did it but watching it happen I yeah. still wondered how it was possible to get that that result and and that to me is the ultimate gratification it's like that's fantastic you know we've, we've done our job so. I I was watching the demo reel this morning on YouTube yeah and I kind of freaked out a little bit because When the singularity happens, artificial intelligence is going to come to you and take over all the monsters in there and rule the world because those are so yeah. lifelike. It yeah. was, it's it's. <laughs> I was 
was like, I was empathizing with the monster in a yeah. way that I never would have. I mean, it's yeah. just unbelievable. Yeah, and, and that's again, that's what that's what uh, happened when I first saw Frankenstein. That the, the empathy, that the absolute, you know, feeling of. Well, first of all, to your point of about AI, I mean, that's something that's you know, it, it is on the it's not even on the horizon. It's here. It's yeah. it's happening now. Uh, we have you know toys that you can buy at Target that have versions of AI that that learn. You know that that. Uh, uh, you know, can can experience things, store those those experiences, and learn behaviors based on those experiences. Uh, and it's it's something that's kind of reaching into the future. I think a little faster than it probably should. That's just my opinion, mm -hmm. um, because I'm not really sure what the, the the end objective is. You know, is it to assist humanity? Are we are we creating something that will ultimately have enough? cognizant, you know, decision-making capabilities to finally realize that maybe humans aren't really good for this planet, <laughs> you know, maybe. Yeah. So you never know what, what's going to happen there. You know, you have to build, you know, some sort of, uh, uh, I think you have to structure it in such a way that you are intelligently, first of all, finding the objective. What is, yeah. what is the ultimate objective? And then secondly, putting milestones in, 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 the, in the path of that objective that will safeguard from, you know, the termination <laughs> of humanity, <laughs> you know, because it, I don't know, man, it's, it's a, it's an interesting topic, it mm -hmm. really is, and it, and it, you know, begs much, much deeper discussion, um, th there's so many uh, elements of it that are arcane, you mm -hmm. know, and, and that even I don't understand, but um, what we've done here at Spectral is we have, we have tapped into it a little bit, we've, we've designed things that can uh, look into your eyes and, and really find your pupils and look back and forth and learn behavior uh, just based on those experiences of, of people walking around this creation and it making decisions as to who it's going to look at next and starting to realize there are 17 people in this room. I could look at any, every, every <laughs> This makes one me of so them. uncomfortable. <laughs> Tell me about it. You know, building the, the, the thing here, uh, you know, within the walls of, of our, of our uh, studio here, all of us had that feeling that that you know uncanny valley feeling where you're you're being looked at by a machine and you don't you don't want to be looked at by it you, you try to like <laughs> get out of its eyesight its eyeline and it follows you oh no it, it follows you. it's like <laughs> so deeply it. unsettled it, it is very very unsettling so imagine how that must feel to a lay person who's yeah. never even been around this stuff it's got to be it's got to really creep them out i mean to, to a new <laughs> level um, and that was the objective of uh we worked with an artist named jordan wolfson from new york when was this? Uh, this we started working with him. I think it was three years ago. Building okay. building this first installation that he did uh, for a gallery uh, in New York called uh, David's Werner Gallery. So you know he came to us initially and said, you know, I want you to build a dancing figure, a girl uh, that's that's kind of sexy looking and kind of interesting, and um, but but there's something off. There's something that there's a, like a heavy element of artifice. You know, and, and, and then something even more unsettling than that, I wanted to look at people. I wanted to stare right into their eyes and and have that, that the power of the gaze is what he calls it. You know, the, the gaze is so powerful when, you, when you're in your everyday life and you make eye contact with somebody. He knows of Malini? Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know if he does, but he should study Malini. Um, but uh, so the eye contact thing is, is, was very important to him. And that is that was something that we'd never done before. And the way that we typically would have done things up until then 
is we would have built a an animatronic character mm-hmm. that usually I would control the eyes. That's my that's usually my duty on set is to do the eye functions, and then my job would be to find the eye lines and really try to dial in where the the character was looking, and make sure that it was looking at the actors, you know, on the set. Very t- very difficult because any any gross movement of the body or neck or head, and you had to make adjustments and you had to yeah. keep. You know, so it's it's a tough it's a tough uh, gig, um, but now that we've developed this system, we can actually have a puppet on set that doesn't have to be told where to look. It it knows where to look. It it has the intelligence, artificial intelligence, <laughs> albeit, uh, to to stare deeply into the person's eyes, and I think that's really good for an actor. Yeah, you know, the actors sure. actors love having practical elements on set, and especially ones that conceivably, you know, you can call it think, you know, mm-hmm. that, that actually think for themselves. Uh, that gives them a new level of, of something to play with, you know, and, and, and work with and, and uh, to, to, you know, deliver the, a much more convincing performance. And we've been told this by actors, you know, how, how much it means to them to have some a presence there instead of staring at a tennis ball on the end of a stick, you know, in a yeah. green screen. Um, so uh, there, there is a, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but there's, there's definitely a backswing in the pendulum of, you know, CG CGI versus practical. practical, and we're finding a balance there, and which is wonderful. I think you know, CG is such a, an amazing, important, and powerful tool, uh, but so, so is, is practical work. Practical effects are uh, not disposable. You, you need them. You need both. You need both of them together. Uh, it's, it's like any great illusion. It doesn't rely on one method or one tool. It relies on layers of, of methods to really create a compelling and convincing, you know, illusion. Mm-hmm. So that's what uh, that's what's happening in our industry as well. How much of that do you bring? How okay? Before we get into that, how often do you perform? Are you do you just because I saw you're going to be uh, performing at the castle during yeah. Veterans Week, and I'm excited. I'm about so that. excited. Yeah, thanks. Um, uh, I, I perform probably. Um, more more recently, every two or three weeks, I'll have a gathering, you know, at my house and, and have uh, like a 10, 15 minute show just to practice. I mean, because mm-hmm. I haven't done it in a really, really long time. When I was in high school, I spent a lot of time at Owen Magic Supreme uh, in Alhambra, and then they moved to Azusa. But I spent so much time there, like, it kept me off the streets, you know. I, I, I every Saturday and Sunday, not Sundays because they were closed, but every Saturday and every day after school, I'd be at Owen, and I learned from people like uh, Bill Taylor. I don't know if you're familiar with Bill, but he's a, he's a cinematographer, Magic Castle member, uh, and a great magician. He he taught me a lot of card work. You know, he was he was there every Saturday saying, "Hey, Mike, sit down. Let me show you some some shuffles, and let me show you some some uh, uh, work with the aces." And, mm-hmm. and he really taught me a lot of stuff. So. And he was the guy who actually uh, put together my first act. Uh, and, and so I did a lot of performing when I was younger. And then one day, something strange happened. I was doing a, uh, I was a strolling magician at a fair, at an art fair. And I had a really bad experience with a, uh, a heckler. What happened? I, I wasn't yeah. prepared. This guy just started, you know, yelling out the methods and you know because I guess he knew some some tricks and those guys are the worst they're the worst so he started really kind of like breaking it all down and like oh there's a gap in that you know or I know how he did that see that card you know, it's really like I think the guy was drunk mm-hmm. and I was defenseless in that situation because I really wasn't prepared for heckling <laughs> at that point in my life <laughs> um, so 
it really turned me off. I was yeah. like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm done with this. I don't need. I don't need the abuse. I'm just going to put all my stuff away and get on with my life. So I stopped doing magic for a long time. But of course, in my own time, I didn't stop. I, I kept playing with my, you know, cards and my my props and stuff. So cut to 25 years later. Um, uh, I became a member of the castle. That was 10 years ago. I became a member there. Uh, did a uh, performance for the, you know, magicians there, and I thought, you know, this isn't so bad. This is this is fun. I like I like doing this again. Uh, so I started doing a little bit more of that and, and showing stuff to my friends at the castle and uh, kind of sessioning with some of the people there, Tom Frank and uh, mm-hmm. Steve Silverman, um, Howard Hamburg, of course, you know. Of course. <laughs> um, and, and Newell Unfried. Do you know mm-hmm. Newell? Yeah. I know Newell. Yeah, so all of those guys. And, they, you know, they're all so welcoming and so generous uh, with uh, all of the information that they have. They, they want to nurture it in somebody else. They want to, you know, uh, keep the interest level high and, and keep the quality level high. So they spend a lot of time uh, mentoring, and mm-hmm. that's invaluable. That's so so. So that's kind of the other thing that kind of drew me back in. It's like these are good people. They really they really believe in what they're doing and they're and, and what they're teaching, and uh, it's still important to me. So um, the opportunity to perform at the castle came up, and I I said absolutely. Let's let's do this. So. I've started to get my my act uh, together with the help of a lot of people. Uh, our Paul Wilson is, is helping me. Um, he's been very very generous. Uh, uh, he's great. I want yeah. to talk a little bit more about that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, while. yeah. John yeah. John Lovick is another person who's you know stepped up to the plate. Mm-hmm. I mean Daniel Eulen. There's there's so many people. Mike Caveney. Um, uh, I know I'm missing a bunch of people, but there are so many wonderful generous great magicians who are looking out for me and saying you know show me what you got and I'll and I'll you know I'll give you critiques and I'll give you my notes and yeah and uh, it's it's uh, it's great you know it's almost it's a, a little emotional you know really it's, yeah it is it's really special to me it's like these guys are just opening up their their hearts to me it's, it's like we're here to help we're yeah. here to, to make sure that that you don't fail you know so yeah. it's awesome that's really. so cool yeah <laughs> yeah I do appreciate that a lot it's it's awesome is that so. something that when I, because when I was um, growing up and learning magic, I was, I mean, the castle is the mecca, you know, yeah. and I was like, oh man, I want to go there one day, and I, because I grew up in Louisiana in a small town, there were no magicians, I didn't know anybody, um, but I knew of the magic castle, and it was, it was calling my name. What, is that something that you, you know, aspired to be a member and, oh, and yeah. perform? And well, yeah, being around. Uh, Owen Magic when I was mm-hmm. a kid, you know, it, it really was, you know, I hadn't heard about the Magic Castle until then, like yeah. when I was, I turned 13 or 14, it was the first time I really became aware of it, uh, and when I found out about it, I thought, I, I have to go there, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a place I gotta, you know, find out more about, and I never quite made it there when I was that age, mm-hmm. um, even though, you know, Bill and, and uh, Bill Taylor and uh, Les Smith and Gertrude were members, they didn't frequent the castle, you know, very often. They didn't go there a lot, uh, so I never really got a chance to, to visit. But I always thought, you know, one day I'm I'm gonna go there, and, and maybe I'll be a member. And, you know, so one thing led to another, and, and it finally happened. And you know, I I couldn't be happier. It's it's such a, a great honor to be you know a member there um, now. And and yeah, it's 
it is a dream. It's another one of those dream come true moments. You know, it's like ah, I did it. I, I'm a member. I got a, I got the gold pin. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really you cool. Want some water? Sure. Yeah. Um, I took some notes this morning. Sure. I just I can't going back to that demo reel this morning. I I was there. A sketch popped up of one of the creatures. And it, it totally floored me, like the, the amount of detail in like the hands. How do you, I don't, I, I can't, I'm not a person that is gifted with his hands as far as drawing or designing or. Have you ever I, done it? I, I, no. No? No. That's why. That, you're right, I don't disagree with you, but at the same time, I, yeah. But how, I mean, just how do you get such minute details? Where does that come from, that kind of creativity? Um, well, you know, it's it's funny that you that you you know mentioned that because that's one of the things that drew me to this business. Really, is is how lifelike things were. There, there's some something about uh, simulating uh, or, organisms, like a, a you know biological organism, to the nth degree, where mm -hmm. you're you're looking at every little pore and every hair and everything that's just. The, the, the sum of those parts becomes an illusion that is so convincing that you think it's real. You absolutely believe that it is real. And that's, you know, that, that harkens back to magic. It's like, you know, you, you put all these things into a, a, a routine or an act and you layer these elements and you suddenly have something that is brilliantly deceptive and, and that really uh, uh, challenges people's senses. On a really high level, mm -hmm. so that always really uh, drew me to it. And learning those processes, I mean, it's it's like anything else. You know, you you start to figure out that you know, first of all, when you're when you're doing a sculpture, you first look at the large forms. You look at the the, the primary forms. Once you've gotten that proportional, uh, you know, relation down, then you start looking at the secondary forms, which are the smaller forms that break up the big forms. And then you start breaking those down into ter tertiary forms, and, and pretty soon you're down to like, okay, this likeness is pretty good. Then you start detailing. You start adding texture with, uh, you know, texturing tools. And uh, by the time you're finished, it's startlingly real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so that that always kind of was, to me, was always a little bit of a big surprise when you get to that point and you start texturing and you step back and look at it for a minute and you go oh my god that's that's looking really cool you know yeah so that's an uh, it's a special uh, uh feeling you know that, that you've created something that looks that realistic um so it's practice it's like everything else you know yeah. the first few times you do it it kind of looks a little clunky maybe it's not right you know the more you do it and the more you practice and you, you show it to people like you know Rick or, or, or Stan Winston or, or some mentor out there and they'll they'll tear it apart they'll say it sucks <laughs> you need to do it again yeah and keep doing it until it, it doesn't suck you know um, so it, it's like magic you know mm -hmm. you, you show somebody who's uh, very well versed uh, you know your your diagonal palm shift and they'll they'll tear it apart they'll be I can I, you're flashing I can see it your, your movements are unnatural you need to and then by the time you're finished getting broken down yeah you build it back up and you've learned something and that's the same thing with you know with the, the creative process in, in the special effects business as I would submit that it's the same in most in disciplines. most creative yeah, disciplines yeah. for uh -huh. sure yeah but what about like what about the monsters and the creatures that don't have necessarily 
something that you can pull, you know, right. the image for. Right. Like, where do where do you come up with the detail that when it's a finished project, you go, yeah, that's what that's supposed to look like. Well, you know, that's a that's because it feels right. Yeah, it does. It does feel right. Sometimes it feels right. Sometimes it maybe doesn't work, but but a lot of times when it does feel right, you know it. And that process happens as, um, I mean, if you're, excuse me, if you're designing on your own, you sort of draw from your experiences. You know, which monsters did you like as, as a kid? What what things spoke to you? What books did you read that that left images in your head that never went away? You know, um, so those those experiences kind of inform the creative process in that regard. But as far as creating things for movies, you know, that's that's a very collaborative process. You. You have a script that you look at, you see descriptions in that script, and then you you bet those against the director's vision, and uh, sometimes the producers want to you know chime in and, and give their opinions of what it should look like, and it all sort of culminates into this thing, and sometimes it works, and sometimes maybe it's not as successful. Um, I think, in my experience, the more people that get involved, the the poorer the results are mm -hmm. uh, because you know it's much better to have one clear voice or one or two clear voices as to what a, a thing should look like what direction it should go in how that fits into the uh, aesthetic of the entire film and and of supreme importance how does it how does it serve the narrative how does it tell the story how does it help the, the process of, of telling the story without taking you out of it you know, if it doesn't fit, it's gonna. You're all of a sudden gonna be out of that story, going, "Wow, that thing looks really. That doesn't. You know, whatever." Yeah. And that's that's a failure. That's a huge. You know, that's that's the thing that we all dread is to take the viewers out of that story. Mm -hmm. um, so our job is really to uh, enhance the story with our creations, uh, to give the story uh, the structure uh, on a psychological level that it needs, on a visual level. Uh, to uh, carry it, you know, and and keep the the viewer, you know, engaged until the very end of the film, and that's that's the goal, and that's how that process works for us. Uh, a lot of times, you see creature designers who work on their own just for fun to create, you know, uh, whatever they want to make, and that's that's different. That's purely, you know, create uh, creative uh, uh, joy, you know, mm -hmm. on, a, on a personal level, and we we all enjoy doing that, but. You know, we're here to do a job, and that is our job: is to uh, to feed the narrative with our monsters, yeah, with yeah. our rubber monsters. <laughs> but like, how do you how do you know when something feels right? When you go, okay, that's that's the finished product. Because I know, like, I'm practicing my diagonal palm shift, mm -hmm. and one out of a thousand, I'll hit it just right, yeah. and I'll know it, and yeah. it feels perfect. It's perfect. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Uh -huh. And you go, holy shit! How do I do that again? Uh -huh. Well, you that's know, interesting. I mean. A what does it times, feel like when you see it and it goes, yeah? I have, to, I have to admit, there are many times, I would say maybe 50-50. 50-50 where I look at something that has been created by the process of meetings with the director, you know, meetings with the producers, and I look at it and I think to myself, I don't know if that's right, you know. And so I'll make suggestions. I'll say, you know, maybe we should try this, you know, try changing this, this aspect of it, the, the, the nose or the, the horns or whatever, you know, and, and then you end up looking at it again and you think that looks better. That's, that's, so it's, it's a vetting process, in mm -hmm. that, you know, in that regard. Uh, when you're just doing it for, for fun, for yourself, you don't really, I think you're just sort of, 
putting your creative energy out there and whatever results, that's satisfying, mm -hmm. you know, because it isn't really woven into a story necessarily. It's just yeah. something you're doing for, for yourself. Um, but in the professional sense, sometimes it just doesn't work. You know, sometimes you, you end up creating something that uh, maybe the, the, the story wasn't really thought through by the writers. Mm -hmm. Maybe the, you know, uh, the communication wasn't clear. You know, so, something goes awry and you end up with a creation that isn't necessarily working in that storyline. Um, as a standalone piece, it's fine. You know, it, it does what it's supposed to do. The eyes blink, the mouth opens, and, you know, does all its scary stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, in, I'm happy to, to say that most of the time that doesn't happen to us. Yeah. I mean, on that 50-50 on that scale that I was talking about, we're able to pull it back into the area where we think it's, it's working, and ultimately it does. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't put my finger on too many creations that we did that I was ultimately not satisfied with. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a couple, and I don't want to mention them because I don't want to, you know, <laughs> sure, <of course. laughs> hurt any feelings out there. But the other strange thing is that the, those creations that I didn't feel connected to, I hear other people say to me, oh my God, that was amazing. You know, so there's also the danger of being too close to something. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, if you're that close to it and you've spent that much time looking at it and analyzing and staring at it and breaking it down and thinking about it and staying up late at night thinking about it and you start to hate this thing <laughs> you know, uh, by the end you're just ready to say get this thing out of my shop I don't want to look at it anymore you know and we've had I've had those experiences I, I don't share that with my team too much because you know we want to keep the morale, morale up, nice yeah. and high you know <laughs> um, but you know we all get frustrated from time to time no matter what what it is we're doing uh, so I've had those experiences not often, but there are there are some exceptions to you know to always being satisfied with your work. Nobody is always satisfied with their work, mm -hmm. so it would be, I think, maybe pompous of me to sit here and tell you, oh, everything we've ever done is perfect. No, you know, of it's course, awesome. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and and again, from from a a brand new perspective, it works. I guess you know they they the the people who whom I've heard from will come back and say that thing you guys built was unbelievable in fact they'll say it was the best part of the movie <laughs> you know? so that's gratifying you know but but uh, uh, yeah it's a strange it's a strange uh, uh, tightrope to walk sometimes you know that that creative balance where you're you're giving enough of your soul to it and being influenced by outside forces mm -hmm. keeping it true to, to what you believe is correct and to what you think is going to fit into the story perfectly to dovetail into the elements um, and uh, you know it's it's tough we've had a lot of great collaborations with people like Del Toro is one of those people that I love to work with because he does have a very strong sensibility a very strong vision and and his vision even though sometimes I don't understand it at first ultimately it's incredibly satisfying because it does weave into his his, his broad spectrum mm -hmm. very nicely and perfectly and correctly and he's very intelligent about his choices you know so it's always fun to work with a guy like him you know and and, and have that that creative not only creative gratification at the end but also creative freedom during the process he's very he likes to have uh, artists invest themselves into the project 
provided they're following his instruction, sure. the rest of it is like, you know, he'll say, this, this thing has to have this, this whatever, these wings and this and that. Now you show me what that looks like. And that's the best. You know, that's the best possible scenario mm -hmm. when, when the artists feel invested, you know, and they feel uh, uh, like they're, they're part of the process rather than an ancillary element that, that was a necessary thing. Sure. You know, when you're, when you're actually uh, a collaborator, you feel, I think, much more proud of what you've done, you know, and uh, I think that's a great objective for a director to have is to make the people working for him or her feel that way, you know, because I think ultimately that's going to yield the best results all around. You know, you, you come to a place like Spectral or, or any other creative, established creative studio, and you, you come to the door with uh, an idea, a desire to create something, the reason you're going to that place is because you know there are experts there. You know there are people there who have been doing this for years and years and years. They understand the processes. They understand how to do it, how to make it happen. So you have to put some trust in those people. Of course, if you don't, yeah. then you're going to end up with this weird sort of dynamic. It's just not. It's not a creative. Uh, uh, it's not friendly to the creative process. So that's why Del Toro is always fun to have come to the door because he knows. These people have been doing this a long time, and they're going to make him look good, and they're going to make his movie look good yeah. if he puts trust in them. So that's that's that. <laughs> <laughs> when you come off of a project that you, or let's say let's say you've you've shipped the monster out the door that you hey, got tired of looking at, <laughs> what is it like to then go dive into a new project? Is it is it like uh, you're you're invigorated because you're ready to see this new thing and see what it becomes, or is it like oh man, I gotta I gotta do better than that last one? <laughs> you know, like is how what's the you know every, is it different every time? It's different every time because the challenges are different every time. Mm -hmm. It's never uh, there are no two projects that offer the same challenge. They all have very unique specifications, you know, very unique requirements for what has to be done. So it's always, you always feel like recharged. You always feel like, oh cool, something new to try, you know, this, we get to try some new technology or we get to, you know, uh, look into some new materials and, and you know, this, this character has to have, uh, you know, illumination elements inside of it. It's, it's like, that's gonna be fun, you know. So you, you do get that giddiness, that excitement, you know. <laughs> It's it's like you know it's like everything else. When you first uh, start a process, you you have optimism and you know and and energy, and then you start getting into it and you feel that that sense of almost like a sense of dread. Like how are we going to do this? You know, there's this challenge ahead mm -hmm. of us, this daunting thing. And then once you start climbing that that hill and gaining momentum, then then uh, you know it's it, I love the process. It's just cool. It's a, it's a great feeling. Uh, and to see it through all the, the the beautiful thing about what we do is that we're there at the very genesis of a project, and we're there uh, when the credits roll at the end of the project, all the way through. And that's to me that's like it's amazing. It's like you're living all these little lifetimes, you know, in these projects that you do, uh, because it is like watching a birth, a, a growing process, uh, you know, the the the. Uh, the epitome of what that thing is supposed to be, and then the taper to the end, and that's, I think that's amazing. You know, it's it's amazing to have that that kind of privilege as a career. You know, to, to be able to do that uh, in our in our uh, uh, our process. Uh, so it's it's always exciting to start something new. Um, 
sometimes it's a little so so daunting that it's not exciting it's a little scary yeah <laughs> you know like something that we've never done before for example um, you start to wonder what if what if we fail you know what happens you know what, what's going to happen if we fail and and I guess what's what I've learned in my career is that it's really not a matter of what if we fail it's a matter of you know first of all believing that you're going to be able to do it one way or another because you know what there's a lot of tools out there there's mm -hmm. a lot of uh, you know industrial tools that there's a lot of technological tools a lot of artistic tools it's alchemy you know you bring all of these things together in this place and you mix them up and you create this thing this this golem you know <laughs> that comes to life um, uh, so it's uh, you know I think I think I feel very blessed and very privileged to have this kind of experience in my life and you know, I think that I think that everybody has it to some degree. Uh, anybody who pursues something creative in their life has that that sense of you know creating something, watching it uh, grow, and then and experiencing its its splendor. You know, when it's when it's finished. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the short answer is your your feelings are always different at the beginning, but the excitement is always there at the at the outset. Yeah, when you start something new. So, what else do I say about that? <laughs> no, that's perfect. Um, what? How did you? How did you practice when you were magic and you know becoming artistic? How did you practice when you were growing up and moving around? And how did you flex those muscles? Um, well, practicing magic, which I did before uh, creature effects. Mm -hmm was something that I I always enjoyed doing for people you know I'd like to to show somebody something that I was learning even if it wasn't perfect yet I I start out that way it's, it's show you know tell me how this looks how does this look what do you think of this you know and that would be my friends or you know my, my brother and I would, would spend time he, he wouldn't have a very high tolerance level for it it would be like okay not another you know not another <laughs> trick um, but friends in high school they were wide open they loved watching me do you know my, my stuff so I practiced a lot in front of them and you know I also practiced in front of a mirror I had a, I had a mirror that I would stand in front of and, and you know work work my, my billiard ball routine and you know coins and whatever else I was working with and I would spend time doing that um, and the the other stuff the creature stuff the way I started practicing that is First of all, figuring out what it was all about because I had no idea. You know, when I first saw, excuse me, when I first saw an American Werewolf in London, and I watched that movie, it it really changed my life. I just thought that you know because it really sort of tipped me over and, and, and made me say, I've got to try to figure this out. I have to figure out what it takes to be able to do this, mm -hmm. and and take it on as a as a challenge and, and try to make a career of it. It really did influence me that heavily. It was so powerful and amazing to me. Um, so I started looking up uh, books in the library, makeup, you know, prosthetics, you know, all those words that I was learning, like animatronics, right? Okay, uh, there are no books on animatronics, by the way. <laughs> Try though I though I might, I couldn't find anything uh, on, on animatronics. Oh, and another another image that stayed with me from early childhood was uh, watching. Uh, Wonderful World of Disney on a Sunday night. There was one episode where they had uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean 
figures without the skins on them. And they showed these eyes blinking and these, you know, mouths moving around, but it was a, a mechanical skeleton. Mm-hmm. And that blew my mind. That was like, oh my, that is amazing. You know, that's, I've got to be able to make that someday. So that stayed with me too. So all of this stuff, uh, I started sort of researching and finding out uh, how you did this stuff. And I found a book by a guy named uh, Lee Bagan. Uh, it was called uh, The Techniques of Three-Dimensional Makeup. And that was the book that really sort of informed me and got me started with my hands on it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, because it, it, in the back it had this glossary or this index of where you could find materials, where you could buy clay, uh, alginate, which is the impression material you use to make life casts of people. Okay. Um, all those materials were listed and the sources were listed. So I could you know, start buying stuff, start bringing uh, this stuff together and, and working on it. And so I did a life cast of myself. It was really rough, you know, but, but it, it was perfectly serviceable. It worked just fine. And I sculpted a... a Do you still have it? I don't think so. Oh, that's no. too bad. <laughs> you know, that's funny. I've, I've, never, been, I've never been real uh, emotionally t- attached to things like that. You know, to me, it's a tool, and it's like, once I'm done with it, <laughs> move on to the next thing. But you're right. It would have been good to, to, to keep it. Um, so I sculpted stuff on that, and mm-hmm. I made a few foam latex prosthetics that I glued on my own face and took pictures and started accumulating a portfolio. And then I started asking my friends if I could glue stuff on their faces. So I'd live cast them and put them through the process. And uh, eventually I ended up with a pretty decent sized book of pictures, you know. And I started sending those to the people in LA. I sent one to Bill Taylor who, you know, worked in the film industry already. And we had the magic connection, so that mm-hmm. was kind of cool. And, and he critiqued them. He said, yeah, you know, you need to work on, on this, that, and the other thing. And I started working on this, that, and the other thing and, and kept perfecting it. And then finally, um, uh, by the way, this was during the time when I was serving in the Navy. I was in the Navy for eight years okay. after high school. And uh, during the last two and a half years of my Navy career, that's when I really started learning the makeup process. So you were in your mid-20s. Yeah, mid-20s. Okay. Uh-huh. So uh, I left the Navy. I was honorably discharged in 1987 and uh, came back to L.A. and started looking around. And I found a place in North Hollywood that uh, I was driving by there. And I saw I saw this building and I looked in the back alley and there were all these, you know, uh, life casts. You know, if you can, you can probably see around the corner there. That's, that's a life cast of an actor. Um, so I saw these these castings, okay. and they were all in the alley. And I thought, oh wow, that's those are life casts. You know, I got to go see what those people <laughs> are doing in there. So I went to the knock on the door. Uh, the name of the place was uh, uh, John Beekler's MMI. That's that's the studio. So it just so happened that they were hiring at the time. I showed them my pictures, and they said, oh yeah, we can use your help. So that was my first job. Um, three months after I, I was. Uh, uh, I, came, I came out of the Navy, and um, that was the first job that I ever had, and it was the career started just growing from there. I never stopped working after that first gig, um, and here I am today. So, yeah? Yeah. So that's how it happened. Are you? Do you also collect uh, movie props and, and um, statues and... You know, other memorabilia of stuff that you haven't created, or you know, you know, yeah, um, I I do. I, I have a small collection at home. I used to have a bigger collection. 
Um, I used to uh, really like model kits. Do you know what model kits are? Yes. Yeah. So so model kits. Um, I had a collection of those, and then I started making my own model kits. Um, that vampire there was one of my first model kits. Wow. And um, this this guy here, this little demon. This was a, this was actually the second full figure sculpture that I ever did, and this was a model kit that I that I made and sold <laughs> sold a bunch of these. Wow! And uh, that little fat guy there was the very first sculpture that I ever did. The that, very first sculpture the very you ever first did. Full figure sculpture, yeah. Wow! Um, so it it was, I think, you know, clear to me that this was something that I really loved to do because I paid attention to the details and I put mm -hmm. them all together in one place. Um, so. Uh, collecting other pieces, I mean, from projects that aren't uh, spectral motion projects. Yeah, I've always admired artists' work. You know, I've I've always admired um, uh, unique styles. You know, so I always went after those sorts of things. Um, uh, I have I have sculptures from some of my colleagues that they've done for their their own you know artistic uh, uh, purposes. I have paintings that have, that have been done by my my colleagues and other artists. So yeah, I love to collect art. I think it's a, it's a nurturing thing to surround yourself with. It you know kind of feeds the creative energy that you have. Mm -hmm. It's it's inspiring. It's inspiring, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That's so, so cool. we get these out of your way. I got the tour. It yeah, was so cool to see all the different aspects of what we we do here. It's amazing. It's it's a really fun shop to walk around and. and look around because you really get sort of the you know the scope of everything that happens I mean we you know I tell people that there there are very few artistic or technical disciplines that we don't take advantage of here in mm -hmm. one way or, or another um, and that's that's part of what makes it so much fun is that it's never just one thing it's always this this broad scope of of stuff that's always going on and you know it keeps it fun keeps it exciting and, and you keep learning stuff because you know things change all the time especially in technology there's there's a lot going on all the time that we you know glean from from aerospace medical you know all sorts of different uh, uh, sciences out there that mm. benefit us and that's you know reflected in in our shop out there you see it you see it when you walk around um, so yeah it's a uh, it's a fascinating field. It really is. There's no. There's never a, <laughs> a dull moment. <laughs> I went to. I went to an engineering school, and a lot of my friends were engineers. And so when I walked through the sort of the animatronics lab that you have yeah. right there, it, it made me feel like I was home. Even though I don't know how to work any of those machines, <laughs> I feel very comfortable in that room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, apart from what you saw there, we also have um, uh, a 3D printing arm mm -hmm. that's housed in a different building. Um, that uh, you know, it's, it's it's become such an essential part of everything that we do. Three D printing is not the answer to everything, but it's definitely the right answer for a lot of things uh, for us. We can we can design a mechanism on the computer and test it in the computer, and then print it and assemble it, and that's it. That's mm -hmm. that's the working model right there. Uh, which you know in the past it was so difficult to get to a working model because you'd have to design it and then build your own prototype machining parts and you know uh, trying to figure out how it all goes together uh, now you just print it <laughs> it's good to go <laughs> so it's pretty exciting it's a fun new new uh, uh, area that allows us a lot of freedom in design a lot of freedom in creating so 
Uh, it's a good, it's a good, uh, good part of what we do. So what's what's next? What do we want to talk about uh, now that you've had the tour? Did you have a favorite part? Was part from the uh, mechanical shop? Um, apart from the mechanical shop, I when we walked into the 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 I think it was the fabrication, fabrication room, maybe yeah. Okay. Yeah. There were like dead bodies on the table, yeah, right. and yeah. <laughs> I was I was intrigued, so I walked up, yeah. and I was so again deeply unsettled by how realistic those faces were. Yeah, that's the fun stuff, you know. It's just <laughs> like wow, you know, look at that. Did Mary explain about the hair punching? And, no, and, no. Okay, so if you look closely at those at those bodies out there, um, and you look at their eyelashes and eyebrows, I did. It freaked me out. Uh, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, and what's what's really weird about it is it's almost a subconscious thing, but you think about it. It's it's the fact that when, for example, if you were to punch a set of eyebrows into a head mm -hmm. and you had used hair that you had chopped to the right length, they wouldn't look right because the ends would be flat. They'd, yeah. they'd be chopped. Well, those those are tapered the way that ours are, the way our, ours naturally grow. Yeah. So every little thing is taken into consideration. All How of those, do you do that? Um, it's rabbit fur. It's, okay. Yeah, you, you find the right the right uh, uh, coarseness of rabbit fur, mm -hmm. and you and you punch the rabbit fur because it is naturally tapered, and it's got that soft sort of you know feeling that your that eyebrows have. Yeah. So that's how we do that, and that's one of the you know millions of things that we think about when we're building stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, how to create a more perfect illusion. <laughs> More real than real. A more terrifying <laughs> illusion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How did you meet your wife? Uh, Mary and I met in, in a uh, in at my apartment through a mutual friend um, who brought her over to watch a football game. Okay. And we watched the football game, and we just liked each other right away, and started you know dating. And um, we've been married for twenty four years now. So. I guess it's stuck. <laughs> sure I guess it so. took. <laughs> How important is it for you um, that your wife is your business partner? I mean, it just, it's sort of a serendipitous thing. It, it's not like, you know, we planned it that mm -hmm. way. It just kind of turned out that way. Um, but it's very important to me because of her skill set, you know, which is not my skill set. I'm not, I'm not good with numbers. I'm not good uh, at really managing finance at all. If it were up to me, I'd be I'd be broke. <laughs> you know, I'd be buying magic collectibles and you know posters and all kinds of stuff. So uh, it's it's good to have that that system of checks and balances uh, within the organization in a way that is much more uh, vested than a normal business association. You know, we we look out for each other. Mm -hmm. we're, we're here to make sure that we're covered both on the financial end and on the artistic and creative and technical end um, so uh, it's it's a great it's a great relationship um, apart from our you know our personal relationship the business relationship is uh, it's very it's a very good good arrangement yeah so we'll, we'll keep doing it <laughs> I think it's I think it's great <laughs> we'll keep doing it yeah. I think it's great that you have somebody that is supportive of your creative endeavors oh, literally yeah. you know yeah, sort of the backbone for your business, but also allows you to buy magic collectibles. Absolutely, <laughs> I can't tell you how how I know because I know a lot of guys who are like, well, you know, I kind of keep my stuff in the, in the closet or in the garage or whatever. Yeah, and in, at our house, there's there's a, an entire room dedicated to just magic. You know, it's it's she knows that it nourishes my soul, and and she supports that. And yeah. you know, she's just 
she's great. I mean, when she first, uh, when I first told her about the the Magic Castle uh, performance, she was the one who said, "Well, we got to start having people over, you know, so you can start performing." And you know, she started organizing all of that and arranging these that's things awesome. to happen. So it's like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. That encouragement yeah. is so wonderful. It is. It's so necessary. You know, it's a, it's a great it's a great thing to have. Um, but uh, you know, when when we first met. Uh, I was living over on Laurel Canyon in North Hollywood, and literally, I was I was this far away from being completely bankrupt. I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have a bank account. I was just this poor artist, you know, this guy, you know, trying to make uh, a go at this uh, special effects stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think that really speaks to her character. You know, it wasn't like she was looking for somebody that could, you know, that was going to surprise, you know, provide money for her or. Uh, you know, it was it was a real genuine connection, and that's mm -hmm. always been a very significant part of why you know I cherish her so much. You know, she's she's not somebody who was looking uh, beyond who I was. You know, that's that's what it was all about. It's like you know, she liked me for me, and and that was you know hugely important. And I think that's why our relationship has been so successful. That's great. Yeah, that's really great. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> I'm a yeah I'm a child of divorce. Are you? And so you know, anytime I can be around people that are happy together and have yeah. been for a long time, that's just it's great. It's it's a, I think it's a good thing. You know the the I'm I'm come from a very broken home mm -hmm. myself. You know, um, so it's it's great to have the opportunity to build a home where our kids feel loved and nurtured and you know cared for, um, because you are sort of you know taking what happened to you and and flipping it and turning it into something better hopefully you know that's the goal for 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 me at least um and it's i think it's gone pretty well our kids are just about off to college my son's leaving for college next year this coming year actually in in september august next month <laughs> he's going to college next month oh my god wow. and then my daughter's going next year uh so you know they've been awesome kids my son's here working today you know and um, I just I I feel like I have to sing the praises of my own family because I feel so blessed. Yeah, you know I feel like I've really uh, been rewarded in some way for I guess the troubles that I had early on in life. Mm -hmm. This is like the backswing of that, and it's it's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Is this going to be a family business? Do you think? You know, uh, both both of our kids have expressed interest in continuing the business. My son is much more interested in the business end of things. Mm -hmm. and my daughter is uh, into the creative end. She does makeup. She does, uh, she's been doing some prosthetic work and she's currently actually working on her second season of American Horror Story. She's working wow. with the team on the, on the Fox lot and uh, she's, she's loving it. She's digging the, you know, following in Pop's footsteps. That's a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's and I'm so cool. proud of her. I'm proud of both of them. They're awesome kids. That's great. Yeah, I won't bore you with you know being the boastful <laughs> dad, but that's that no, that's fine. You're you know, I, I yeah, no, go ahead. What's Halloween like at your house? <laughs> you know, I, I get that question all the time. Back when I was first starting, mm -hmm. and you know, I was I was young and eager and learning and and just accumulating all this information. I couldn't get enough of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So Halloween was huge. It was a big deal. Yeah, uh, I would I would spend a lot of time putting together my uh, Halloween costume and, you know, making it as cool as I could. And as I grew older and, you know, other obligations took place, magic, you know, became more important. Um, Halloween is now more of a 
kind of a time to decompress a little I bit. I wondered if that's what <laughs> happened. I just yeah. was curious in my own head if yeah, that yeah. was the so, natural progression. So nowadays it's not so much of a, you know, because let's face it, this stuff is a lot of work. Yeah. Especially if you're doing it for yourself on your own time. Yeah. It, it's a, it's an all-consuming thing. So, you know, it's become it's become less of a thing. We we're we're much more into just going to visit a couple of friends, maybe, you know, putting out some candy in a dish for trick or treaters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is Halloween every day. <laughs> I know. I was kind of under the impression. Uh, yeah, this place is awesome. Um, let's. Sw- well, okay. So, I want to swing back to magic for a little bit. Um, and you mentioned Paul, and you mentioned Darkfall. Yeah, yeah. Because that's you know, I, I'm I'm really bummed that it didn't get funded. And, but I don't know if that's the end of the road. Oh, I don't. I, I don't think, I don't so. think it is. I think it's going to happen. I think it's definitely going to happen. It's it's a it's a matter of, you know, there's so many moving parts in getting something like that going. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of just getting all those parts figured out and pushing it forward. Because you know, I think Paul's a great filmmaker. So yeah, he's done some really beautiful work. Um, he's like a, he's like a modern day you know George Méliès because he's a he's a magician. He's a he's a tremendous magician. He's mm-hmm. really really amazing. And he's got this this passion for film, this passion for cinema, that I I've noticed a lot of magicians share that, but to the level that Paul feels it and and, and embraces it, I don't think there are that many people out there. You know, he's he's really got the, the passion to be a director, a creative mm-hmm. a creative force in the in the world of cinema. Um, so, and and I also wanted to mention, you know, we'll get back to Paul for a second, but I also wanted to mention that. You know the whole conversation we had about how I equate what we do here with with magic in the traditional sense. There's so many people who do what I do who are closet magicians. Yeah, <laughs> you know, tons of them. They're like, you know, oh my god, I I do magic too. You're kidding? No, I'm an amateur magician. We all have this this sort sort of common thread. Um, so it's not that much different, really. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I've noticed that as well. That a lot of people that. Uh, like for example, Dave's wife Coley is a graphic designer in the uh-huh. television and film industry, and you know she's she I will be talking and she's like, oh yeah, my one of my new coworkers knows who Dave is and right. is a magician and yeah 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 lots and, of common lots of common ground you know yeah uh, but yet yeah, Paul's uh, you know he's uh, he's been a really good friend he's he's actually been one of the people who's mentored me you know to whatever level he can to whatever degree he can because he's not here all the time obviously mm-hmm. he lives in Scotland um, but whenever he does come into town we, we do make it a point to get together and you know do a little bit of sessioning mm-hmm. not, not too heavy because yeah. you know time is precious and it's just nice to catch up <laughs> yeah oh he's tremendous he's, yeah. he's the greatest I, yeah. I interviewed him and um, it was incredible it was deeply moving for yeah. several reasons one is his depth of passion about film yeah. and about you know the journey that he took to call himself a filmmaker yeah, yeah. and it was just it was great it's so a yeah it's a lot of Paul. dedication it's a lot of love deep deep love for for the medium you know yeah. and he certainly has that uh, but i just i just feel really fortunate to know him mm-hmm. and, and to know him personally when uh, when I first met Dan and Dave, they came here to the studio for a tour, uh, and and I contacted them because I I'd watched their videos and, and I thought, man, these kids are great. You know, these guys are so talented. I'd love to meet them someday. You know, so I got in touch with them and said, hey, come and tour my 
my special effects studio. <laughs> and they showed up and they were, uh, Paul was with them, you mm-hmm. know, but I didn't know who Paul was at the time. Uh, we'd never met before and I'd never really, I hadn't really gotten so far into the magic scene that mm-hmm. I knew everybody's name, you know, and, and who was who. Um, so they, they showed up with Paul and I, I met him, he's a very kind gentleman, you know, and, and eventually I, 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 I think I might have asked him something like, so are you, are you, how do you know Dan and Dave, you know, and he told me, well, you know, I do, I used to be a gambler and, and, a, and a, a cheat and I, I became a consultant and so then I learned all about the world of Paul and I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know who you were, <laughs> you know. So I was a, a little embarrassed by that, but but at the same time, just so happy that I, I that they brought him with them, you know, and, and I got a chance to meet him, and that's really uh, flourished into a nice, long-standing friendship, which mm-hmm. I enjoy, you know, tremendously. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, we we share we share the passion for film. I honestly think that that he is even more passionate because you know he's he's willing to take on the role of a director, which is an incredibly you know broad amount of work it's 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 a heavy burden to be a director and you have to be in love with this stuff in a very very deep place Mm -hmm. to go that way (laughs) you know it's not an easy journey it's it's, it's, he'll tell you himself you know it's it's tough but it's it's a it's a labor of love and, Mm -hmm. and he certainly demonstrates that you said that he's one of the people helping you out with your magic castle show coming yeah yeah i'm interested since you mentioned the importance of narrative and story. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to know where you're taking that that show that you're going to do, as far as the yeah. context of it. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a work in progress. But the themes that are important to me are uh, the the bizarre channels of our memory, how how the memory works, and how you know in a, in a moment, you know, it's something that will spark or trigger a memory so unrelated like you'll look at you know some object and all of a sudden you'll think of something that happened a long time ago effortlessly I mean this this file just pops right up you know mm-hmm. it's like you didn't have to go digging for it it's just like hey remember this it, it's so strange to me how yeah. random and arbitrary that is you know and and uh, and how how some events are locked into that that vault that you continue to reference throughout your life and, and so many other events just fade off into time and space. They're gone, you know. So those are that's one of the themes that I use in my in my routine. Um, and uh, another theme is the 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 you know sort of the incalculable improbability of of coincidences. You know how the fact that you and I are sitting here in this room right now. Yeah. How many things could have changed prior to this moment that would have put us somewhere else? You know. Yeah. How, how cool is that that we're here to experience that, you know, that, that we're here in a cognitive way able to to even think about that, you know, mm-hmm. all, all of those those sort of, you know, I, I guess they're sort of higher concept, to me they are anyway, um, uh, ideas that, that would that would carry a narrative in an interesting way and that you could punctuate with, with effects. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, those are a couple of the themes. I've not quite finished fleshing it all out yet. You know, right now I've got about a ten-minute solid routine that I do, um, and it uses those those ideas, those those principles uh, of narrative. And so far, the feedback's been really good. I've mm-hmm. gotten great feedback from 
what I consider to be intelligent people. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's I think it's going well, and and the help that I'm getting from you know people like Paul is is priceless. It's mm -hmm. just you know uh, very 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 helpful. Um, so we'll see what happens. And and you know I I kept thinking I was going to be terrified to to actually get to this point, but I'm not. I'm really enjoying it. It's it's a really fun. Uh, feeling, you know, yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's like a roller coaster ride a little <laughs> bit. It's like you're sort of going up the hill, and then as it, as it happens, you're like, wow! <laughs> you know? So that's where I'm at with it. Um, but those are my themes. How often are you practicing and working on it? On um, so, like, I'm doing a show probably every two every two weeks with about six people in the room. Last week we had um, was it, ten people. Um, and it's. I think it's better to have more people. I, I really enjoy the energy of, mm -hmm. of, of the different uh, people who are observing and, and their observations, and you know, just their perspective. And uh, I do just a, like a little mini kind of you know interview afterwards and ask them what did you like, what didn't you like, what mm -hmm. was what was your favorite thing. Uh, take a lot of notes. You know, I, uh, who was it? Somebody just suggested that. Um, Oh my goodness! I wish I could remember. I've got my that's see the memory is like <laughs> wow, it's so weird. Um, but somebody just suggested that uh, I record all mm -hmm. my performances. Yeah, because sometimes um, you'll say something. Oh, Steve Valentine. Steve Valentine said, "Record all your performances because you will sometimes say something that you hadn't thought that was a spontaneous thing that wasn't part of your you know script or whatever," and and those seem to be the things that work the best. Yeah. If you can, if you can reuse that as a, a feeling uh, with a spontaneous sort of feeling, you'll you'll elicit that same reaction. So, uh, it was either it was either Steve Valentine <laughs> or Bill Taylor. One of the two of them said that to me um, at the last time we had lunch. But um, yeah, I just feel like I'm getting a lot of great help, mm -hmm. and I think ultimately a, a great magic act to me is one that does have a strong storyline a strong narrative and uh I, I think a lot of the guys at the castle know that and they they exercise that they've got good strong narratives they've got good uh presentation and it's not magic for the sake of magic it's mm -hmm. magic for the sake of telling a bigger story and entertaining and and to me that's very important you know as it should be i think to everybody who who performs for people who entertains people in, in that sense like if you're in the close-up gallery you should have that going for you <laughs> yeah, think, yeah you know yeah <laughs> what do you think what do you what do you want your spectators your audience to feel because there's a difference between viewers and an audience an audience mm -hmm. is a collective group that works together mm -hmm. subconsciously mm -hmm. what do you want your audience to feel Feel? What's the goal for the audience and from their perspective when you're performing? I, I would like to, to know that at some level I have um, triggered an emotional response. Um, what kind it, of It doesn't emotional? have to be profound. It just, just an engaging, uh, something that will engage them to the level mm -hmm. where they feel somewhat emotionally invested. Okay. And um, I think that's, that's a, a really powerful way to to entertain people when they feel an emotional connection to something um, and I think that the memory thing for me is working well to, to access that mm -hmm. you know uh, because look we, we all have memories we all have uh, you know good memories and bad memories we all have uh, 
memories that make us feel stronger for who we are. You know, uh, there, there's there's so many common threads that we can access there. Um, so ultimately, the emotional engagement is important to me. But the real payoff for me is is creating a sense of wonder. That's really where it's at for me. Is is if I can if I can see the expressions on their faces, thinking to themselves, "Wow, I just got taken on this great journey," and how that did he do that? <laughs> you know, that's that's great. That's a great payoff for me. Mm. And and that that kind of sort of verifies the fact that I've done my job, that I have you know, practice to the level where what I'm doing is invisible and, and the effect is, is uh, effective, you know, that it's, mm -hmm. that it's done its job and that, uh, that, we've, that we've bonded at some level. So that's, that's my, my goal. That's my objective. Connecting with the audience. Absolutely, in the way that is, yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I, wish, I wish there were more magicians that thought that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wish there were more people in the entertainment business who felt that way, you know, mm -hmm. for so many in, in the film business too. I mean, so many uh, people are out there with the intent to just put something out that sort of aggrandizes them somehow. And they're not really thinking about the audience. They're not trying to connect to the audience. It's like, look how cool this is. You know, I don't care who you are or what you're thinking. This is, this is a wonderful shrine to my ego over here, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's everywhere. I think you find that everywhere. But fortunately, there are those people, and, and you know, thank goodness, because that's what keeps us all engaged, are the people who are reaching out to us, and they're, they're bringing us into their world, mm -hmm. and you know, making us feel like a part of it somehow. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, so that's, that's the most successful kind of entertainment for me. You know, it's, it's bigger than entertainment. It's, 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 a, it's a life experience. Mm -hmm. you know? So if I can if I can achieve that, then I'll be happy. <laughs> I think there's so much potential with magic because, like I I I love stand up comedy. Yeah. And yeah. there's been this enormous push and this trend in stand up comedy to be more honest on stage, to be more vulnerable. Yeah. Uh -huh. To be not necessarily dirtier, but just more raw and and there with the audience sharing. Sure. Not just you know. What's the deal with airplane food? You know exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and I think that there's so much of that that could be done in magic. Just being more honest and open with the audience, yeah. and and being more empathetic in that way. Absolutely, it creates such a a, a more profound experience for mm -hmm. everyone involved. Um, have you seen uh, Helder's show? Yes, that's a great example of that. You know, his 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 whole storyline was so personal. And so engaging and so deep mm. that you almost almost didn't need the magic, you know. Just just experiencing that event was mm -hmm. uh, a, a beautiful experience. I I really I loved it. I thought it was terrific. So you know, I think I think what you just brought up, I think Helder did or, or, or not Helder. I'm sorry. I'm I'm thinking of uh, Derek. Derek. Yeah, yeah, of course. Derek's uh, show. Um, Derek's show was phenomenally you know uh, insightful. Mm. painfully honest mm -hmm. and uh, and left you feeling connected emotionally connected and you know that's that spoke to me you know that made me feel like you know Derek didn't hold back any punches there he just told you everything that was going on in his heart and his life and um, uh, I just thought it was terrific you know it was a, it was a very ins inspirational moment uh, to, to see his, his show and I saw Helder's show a few months <laughs> prior to that, and yeah. that was brilliant as well. So yeah. you know, they're both phenomenal performers. Absolutely. Yeah.
Yeah, I Derek's show sticks in my mind every time I bring up that question. And I, I yeah. thoroughly enjoyed Derek's show, but I wish there were more people with, you know... Derek is great, but he has a very particular view that you kind of... That isn't for everybody. But that that said, he he is doing his thing. Absolutely, you know? and I love that. And that's perfectly wonderful. A hundred percent. Anybody who can say, I am doing my own thing here, yep. I'm bringing my own stuff to the table Mm -hmm. i i am so you know motivated by that because you know there's some you know the old saying there's there's million imitators but very few innovators and derek is one of the innovators he's he's uh i I just i can't find the words to describe it because it's so just so bold and so personal Mm -hmm. you know those two things fearless you know that's that's the word It's, it's like there's just no there's no filter. It's just a fearless sort of, you know, laying out of your emotions and your heart. Mm-hmm. And I think that's taking not only magic but entertainment. Absolutely. You, you mentioned, you know, stand-up to to a much more significant level, a much more important level. And uh, that's what I would love to emulate. You know, I, I take my lessons from from Derek. You know, that's that's uh, that's a really strong influence for me. All yeah. of a sudden, yeah. You know? Uh, so and, and I've watched him for years and I've, I've always enjoyed his work and I saw you know the, the show that he did with with Helder uh, at the Geffen and just I've always been blown away by these these, these two guys you know mm-hmm. both of them individually and collectively they were just such a great force are such a great force in, in magic and in entertainment at large yeah yeah it's yeah it's incredible and I think that they're they're wonderful performers and they're pushing magic and you know different but but similar yeah. <laughs> ways and right. mm-hmm. and they're so they're so good and and many of the people that you mentioned are close with Derek too some of the people yeah. that you you mentioned is helping you out is exactly yeah so, yeah and and he's been so busy i haven't had a lot of opportunities to spend time with him uh, but he did he came here for a tour we had a, a great visit together with a few other guys and um, you know, as soon as he's done with his run, keeps getting extended. <laughs> maybe we'll we'll have to find some time to, to grab a coffee or something. But uh, um, I guess you know the other the other person I should mention is a strong influence, and I've only met him one time. Is Ricky Jay? I mean, I, we're all I think we're all oh, yeah. you know, Ricky Jay fans, and uh, I mean, talk about talk about an engaging narrative. You know his his spiel you know he's such an amazing raconteur you know he's just so uh, uh you know eloquent and, mm-hmm. and you know erudite he's just this amazing force and he's a wizard he's a wizard yeah <laughs> and i mean i've I, I you know i sort of know the 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 mechanics of things uh, of the function of how to get cards to do what what they do yeah but I, I, I've watched him enough times, and, I, and I, there I'm still fooled. I'm still standing there, scratching my head, thinking, "Wait a minute!" You know, I, I, I'm I'm blown away. I yeah. do not understand what he's doing. You know, even at the, the uh, I'm not saying that I'm an expert, really, because I'm not a full full-on expert like so many people are. But to my level of understanding, I know there are certain things that you can do to control cards to yeah. make things you know happen. And watching Ricky Jay's hands to me is just music. It's it's beautiful classical music. 
yeah. <laughs> that you can just get lost in because it's so magnificent. Um, so yeah, he's he's one of my my great influences, and I, I watch I watch uh, Fifty Two Assistants regularly. It's something that I it's always on my watch list. You know, I just I just keep keep absorbing it and keep learning from from what he's he's uh, you know laid down for us. All do you time. have Do you have other uh, videos or sources or books and so on that you go back to constantly for more inspiration and not just uh, within magic but just in general in life um, yeah I mean there's I've got like I've got a library at my house and um, you know some of the I, I, I love I love Tamarise's work I, I study that a lot um, I, I do a little bit of that kind of work and uh, you know uh, Ozzy Wind is, is another person that I that I look at and, and study and and try to try to glean things from. Uh, so I mean, you know, I'm sort of trying to find what I consider to be the best of the best, as we all should, I think, and and try to emulate that in our own voice. You know, to find our own uh, expression, to to try to try to. I'm I'm never going to equal the work of any of those guys. I, I don't think I ever will <laughs> because here's the difference between me and them. Yeah. They live, breathe, and that's all they do. This is their life. You know, this is, this is such an important part of their daily routine. It's it, it, Tamaris, you know, you, you'll sit down and have dinner with him. And then five minutes after you're finished eating, the cards are out, you know, before dinner, the cards are out, you know, that's, that's what he does. That's, mm -hmm. that's his life. For me, it's more of a, a, a I'm not going to say like a side thing because it's, it's important to me. Of course. But I don't have the wherewithal to spend every hour of my waking day perfecting my skills. Yeah. And that's why I say I don't think I'll ever reach that level. But I'll certainly try to emulate it. And I will certainly try to do it justice and not present a lesser product when I'm tasked with, with, with presenting it. And, and I'll know my limitations. You know, I'm not going to try something that is going to uh, expose anything or you know uh, bring bring the collective art down any in, in any degree. I want to bring it up. I want to keep helping to, to elevate it. And that's that's uh, that's what these guys inspire me to do. You know, all of them and all the books that I love to read. You know, the the, the you know, Tamaris is always on my nightstand. Monica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, there's some great stuff in there. Um, I just started reading um, In Order to Amaze. Uh -huh. Ted uh, Hartling's book. Yeah, Hartling's book. And there's some great stuff in there. I mean, just wonderful, neat stuff that you can do that's mystifying. Mm -hmm. um, what's the... I forget what the effect is called, but it's, it's, uh, it's where you have the, uh, the criminal card and the two detective cards. And the two detective cards capture the criminal in between them, and then you go to the other deck that's the other sitting deck. on the table, and it's exactly you know that, yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. It's yeah. like audiences love that. That's yeah. just so mystifying. It's like, well, how in the world could you possibly have done that? And that's the kind of stuff I love. It's just you know the real mystery stuff that that uh, might even fool some magicians. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what about you? What's your favorite stuff? Oh, I I have influences all over the everybody yeah. that you've named I looked up to and yeah. think that they're incredible and yeah. you know I love Vernon and oh god yeah <laughs> and you know Jennings and all the that old Larry school Jennings. oh my god uh, yeah yeah castle those castle guys and uh -huh. you know I, I like all I, I, anything anything that's good 
Anything that's good, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. How do you know what's good? Um, this goes back to the question, how do you know when you're done with a thing? Right. You know, how do you know what's good? Well, I guess it's, I, I imagine it's, some degree of it is intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but another part of it is, is, it's just an intellectual question. It's like, did somebody put some effort into this? Did they put some time into this? Did they sure. think it through? Is it is it presented in a co- you know cohesive way that that is easy to understand but still maybe is complex at some level? All of those elements play into that to, for me. You know, um, I, I I think that that anybody who devotes energy and studies and and learns from from their their icons, you know, and brings something new to the table that. That to me represents quality. It's it's something that didn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. It's something that took time, and you know, just just the, the sheer mechanics of an effect can represent quality. But a higher level of quality is that same effect presented in in the framework of something grander, something bigger, and uh, that's that's what it is to me. It's always about a story to me. I love stories. You know, I love to to hear good stories I love to enjoy the experience of someone else told in a you know in an intelligent way um, and if that's punctuated with a really awesome magic trick that's even better <laughs> <laughs> that's even better so yeah how often do does your your day job and your side gig interact and what I mean is you know I because I see a teller back there oh yeah and uh, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> <laughs> pretend just, you didn't see it. It's not there. <laughs> I don't see anything. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it's it happens. It does. We do. We do have quite a bit of, of uh, interaction with the magic community. Not not a huge amount, mm-hmm. but a small amount. Um, obviously, I worked with David uh, on on his show. Um, did a little bit of work with. Um, Chris Angel on a couple of things that he's done for, for his new show. Um, with Michael Carbonaro, did a little bit of work with him. Working a little bit with Steve Valentine now on something different. And it's all fun stuff. I you know I really enjoy the bringing the, the know-how and technology that we have here into that realm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't think it's readily accessible to most magicians. You know, I think that most magicians are either perfecting skills with their hands, you know, things that they can do here, um, or creating their own technologies, their own ways of doing things. Um, I don't think a lot of magicians maybe have the resources to really dive into something like the stuff that we do here mm-hmm. because of cost. I mean, sure. it's, it's, it's prohibitive. It's mm-hmm. very expensive stuff. So, um, and it's technical and it's complicated and it's, you know, unless, unless there's some... Um, some simple method that somebody's trying to develop, and they they come to me to you know to help with that, then it's that's a whole different story. It's something simple, something we can do with you know found technology stuff that we have here. Uh, but I yeah I, I think the crossover is just a natural crossover. It's a it's a uh, a wide open field. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we can bring to magic that has been used for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, with animatronics is not new in magic. That's been around for, for a while. Uh, remote controlled elements, um, you know, uh, little, little things that, that 
employ electronics. I mean, we, we have all of that stuff here to a degree that's been developed even further, I think. So it's just, I think it might just be a matter of time before the cost base comes down a little bit mm -hmm. and, and the magic community is able to take a little bit more from what we do. But as, it's, as it has been, I mean, ever since I've started getting back in touch with more and more magicians, there do seem to be more opportunities to, to collaborate. So, um, and, and in the other direction, we do magic tricks in front of the camera all the time. I mean, so that's been, that's been going on since, you know, since I started doing this kind of work. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a completely uh, homogenous field, I think. You know, it's, com you know, as I said early on, to me they're both the same thing. It's just a matter of, of logistics and mechanics. How do we make it all combined, you know, and blend, yeah, yeah. And, and do what we need it to do? That's really cool. I, uh, I, first thing I saw when I came in is that glove out there, and I recently got into uh, the YouTube channel Tested with Adam Savage and his team of folks, mm -hmm. and I I fell into this rabbit hole of watching Adam build stuff in his <laughs> shop. Did you see him building I that? I saw him building yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, <coughs> he came here about, oh, must have been four years ago. And, um, you know, he'd been in touch with me and he said, hey, you know, do you mind if I come over and have a look at that glove? Because I want to build a replica. And I said, yeah, of course. Come on, come on over. So he came and spent some time taking measurements. And, you know, Adam, he's very, you know, precise mm. about everything. So he took copious photos and messages and, or uh, measurements and uh, and made this amazing replica of this of this thing. And he made two of them, I guess. He made one for Guillermo and one for himself. And, I mean, talk about a, a you know, tenacious <laughs> person. He just took that thing to the, to the, to the limits. It's like, it's beautiful. Have yeah. you seen the finished piece? I, I've seen it online, and yeah. yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it was fantastic. But I, I, I got in, I fell into this, this channel and watching him build stuff and you know doing models and I was yeah. like it, it energized me I was like I want to go to a model shop and buy a bunch of glue and yeah. <laughs> learn how to do this yeah and you know I how would you recommend somebody if they wanted to get into it how do you where do you start what do you do I mean it's like like everything else I think the first step is to research you know start finding materials that that teach you things that you want to learn and start getting in touch with people who do that stuff and you know if they're if they're the right person they'll they'll open their arms and say hey I'll show you you know come over mm -hmm. and we'll spend some time and, and I'll teach you the basics um, but you know I think in my case I was I was very self-driven self-motivated learned my my stuff out of books because I didn't have access to anybody you know to to show me because I wasn't actually living in LA when I was you know doing my research as long as as long as you have the passion and the desire, you're going to find a way to do it. You're going to figure it out. Um, there's, you know, I, I get sometimes I get asked the question, "How do I get into animatronics?" And it's it's never an easy answer because it's a big answer. Mm -hmm. the, the answer is you don't just get into animatronics. First, you get into sculpture, and then you get into mold making, and then you get into fabricating materials, and then you get into electronics, and it's before you get to the animatronics you sort of have to have mastered all the other disciplines because all of that is informed by this and conversely all 
what happens in the animatronics mm -hmm. is supported by every step of the way that leads up to it. Um, if you're designing movement on a character, part of your job is to make sure that the skin thickness is correct for that point of motion. So that means you have to go way back to the sculpting stage, talk to the sculptor and say, I need a little more material here because that's going to move like this. And then when you're making the molds, the mold guy has to hear from the animatronics designer because you have to tell them this skin has to be a quarter of an inch here and then taper up to three-eighths of an inch here and then down to an eighth over here. All of these things are part of the animatronic designer's wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. And without that information, you can't be a successful animatronics designer. So the short answer is grab a broom and stop sweep, start sweeping a shop floor and then learn every step of the process all the way up. Mm -hmm. And the long answer is what I just gave you. So it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, about, it's about learning all the disciplines that you need to learn to get to where you want to be. You know, if, you're, if your end goal is to be a sculptor, study anatomy, look at, look at nature, look at animals, look at, uh, you know, all of the things that are going to inform your process to create an anatomically correct, convincing sculpture. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, it's like if I were to ask you, how, how do I learn the, you know, diagonal palm shift? <laughs> how do I start? I look at the book, right? Yeah. And then I find a guy like you and I say, <laughs> what am I doing wrong? <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's, I, I think a, a really big part of all of these things that we do is, you know, apart from your own motivation and your own drive is to, is to find mentors. You know, the mentors are such an important equation, a part of the equation, um, because without experienced eyes on what you're doing, you, you might learn how to do it, but you might be doing it wrong. You mm -hmm. might be missing some subtlety. You might be uh, going in a direction that's going to lead to much bigger mistakes down the road. So that's the next step. After you start reading and, and learning about it, find, find a mentor or several mentors who can help you, you know, help you learn the process. And that's, that's something that I found in common in the magic world and in the movie world, in the, in the creature effects world mm -hmm. specifically is that when I got into the business, this business of making you know, creatures, everybody that I came in contact with was enormously generous and, and, and so willing to share their knowledge and to take me under their wing and say, sit next to me and I'm gonna show you how to do this and then you do what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, same thing in, in the magic world, as I mentioned, you know, much earlier that, you know, I felt this embrace, this, this warmth, this, you know, I, I want you to be as good as me. I want you to learn how to do this the right way. Uh, and, and that's such a huge part of, of being successful at it. Get those mentors, man, because, mm -hmm. you know, without them, <laughs> you may never get it right. <laughs> yeah. It's so important to be able to take that criticism, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've known I've known people that you know you like you have to be self-aware in whatever you're doing. You got to be self-aware, and I've known people that aren't self-aware. So they've been doing something, doesn't matter what it is, but they've been doing something for two years, let's say. Mm -hmm. Somebody comes to them that's been doing it for a decade or longer and says, "Hey, this is kind of maybe you should do this," and they don't take that. <laughs> it's like. Yeah. Sure. Come on, you, you just, that's the dumbest thing in the world. It is. And I think that's, that's kind of a, a, 
a bloated sense of achievement. You know, you, you feel like, oh wow, I've I've learned how to do this thing, this maneuver, this you know, clip shift or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and and now I'm I'm great. I've really I've really come a long way. What else and, is there to learn? I've got it all. I got it. You know, I'm done. I'm done here. And and I think that uh, in order to be able to accept criticism in the right way, mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta have some sense of humility. You gotta be humble about it because you don't know everything. And guess what? You're never gonna know everything. Nobody yep. is. And and so if you keep that in mind, when when you do find somebody who's more experienced and they're they're even willing to look and give you some sort of feedback, that's a jewel. You take that and, mm-hmm. you, and you cherish it, you know, and, and you say thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, you don't reject it and say, I know what I'm doing. That's just arrogance. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's uh, in a way, that's a little bit of, you know, um, um, the, the, the law of... Uh, uh, natural selection you know, <laughs> they're eliminating themselves by their own arrogance so exactly. uh, that's I guess that's a good thing but you know thank goodness there are enough people who are willing to, to listen and, mm. and, and take lessons and and accept failures you know and, and, and learn from them and, and move on to successes based on those experiences so yeah I, I think I've always been willing to accept criticism and uh I'm I'm really happy about that because it has taught me a lot of things that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, um, those first few times it stings a little bit, but so what? You know, it's the truth. Yeah, <laughs> it's, the, it's truth. the truth, and ultimately it's going to help you. So, and but, you'll look back on it and go, "Man, I'm so glad I got yeah, that." Exactly. I'm light years ahead of where I would have been had I not Absolutely. paid attention to that or not received. Absolutely, so true. So um, true. Do you have? <laughs> I wrote this down at lunch. <laughs> Do you have nightmares um, about the monsters in your building? No, no, I don't have nightmares about monsters um, at all, ever. It's, in fact, I think I think of monsters as friends. kind of friends. Yeah, I mean, really, <laughs> I do. I mean, they're they're, they're fun. They're cool. You know, mm-hmm. I've always I've never thought of monsters like film monsters as something that's scary in a primal sense it never never was that way for me that's um, fascinating yeah um, things that I find scary in, in a visceral way yeah. are um, I guess ghost stories get me that way really yeah ghost stories really kind of reach into that dark space in my soul and, and <laughs> terrify me a little bit wow um, but see to me I like the monsters, the monsters in there, are way more terrifying than really the ghosts. Yeah, <laughs> like if yeah. I, like, yeah, I mean, stuff doesn't. I, I don't really get heebie-jeebies. I get like runaway scareds, you know. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> right. so, so for example, I saw, uh, I saw that you posted about the new Walking Dead thing at Universal. Mm-hmm. I would never in a million. <laughs> billion years do that <laughs> that kind of stuff i hate haunted houses i hate anything that uh, jumps out that doesn't look like a regular person yeah and that's perfectly acceptable um my son's like that he doesn't like being startled he doesn't mm-hmm. like being scared that way um but i think it's fun <laughs> you know? to me that's like oh that's, that's cool. amazing yeah but i would so i would rather sit through you know the scariest ghost story right isn't that interesting yeah. well, what do you think it is that you don't like about it 
It's not that I don't like them. I, I oh, that's I, fair. I do okay. like them. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy. I, I enjoy being scared. Okay. You know, I like that. I like that okay. feeling. Uh, but but I guess it's the you know the the unanswered questions. You know. Okay. Is it possible that this could happen? Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm by myself in a dark hotel room at night. You know, when I'm traveling in business or something. Sometimes I get a little spooked, you know, <laughs> and it's just you know uh, maybe I'm a little superstitious in some ways, you know. But uh, ultimately, you know, intellect takes over mm-hmm. and reason takes over, and you're like, yeah, it's, there's nothing here; it's all good. Um, but I had a very interesting experience when I was in Ireland. Yeah, I'll never forget this. I was stay, staying at a place called the Culloden Hotel. Okay, and it was a really old hotel, you know. Rumor had it that it was haunted, like all old buildings are. <laughs> um, and I had a very lucid dream. It was a very strange experience. Um, and I, I have, don't think I've told five or ten people about this experience. But I was sleeping, and I felt as if somebody was pulling me off the bed mm-hmm. and dragging me around the hotel room floor. Like, physically, I felt it. It was, like, very, very real. And, uh, you know, I woke with a start. I was like, oh, my God, I'm still in bed. And the TV was on. And on the TV screen was this horrific face, this this ghost face. And it just so happened that at that moment, I woke up to, like, the big reveal scene in a uh, a movie called Kilometer 31, I think it's called. It's a it's a foreign film, and it's a, about this... this junction at a road mm-hmm. that the 31st kilometer where this ghost would appear and as I woke up I saw that ghost on TV <laughs> right after having this horrifying dream so it just reinforced my fear of ghosts oh you know? wow that's amazing <laughs> and, you know and that all kind of leads back to the, the, the um, uh, narrative that I have about the improbability of coincidences mm-hmm. how improbable was that like you know that I would have woken up at that moment that that face would have been right there you know, those moments are like, it's almost like too perfect to be a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. That's amazing. That's my ghost story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I, yeah. But I, I don't know. I'm just a scaredy cat. Just, you know, I'm just afraid okay. of most things. It's yeah. <laughs> great. I mean, you know, we, we sort of, in our business, we sort of, we sort of feed off that fear a mm-hmm. little bit. You know, it's, it, it's what drives us a little bit. It's like, how can we create something that's that's going to scare people? It's going to bring that aspect of the story to life for somebody um, because it's important. You know, if you uh, if you're if you're in a movie theater because you want to get scared, and and we're doing our job right, you're going to get scared. You're going to see something that's going to you know terrify you and serve the purpose of the storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we like people who get scared. <laughs> We like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that covers it. I Great. think that's about it. Thank awesome. you so much for doing this. Hey, my pleasure. It was fun. This yeah. is awesome. Now we're going to session a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mike. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Elliot.